0: Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest on this week's episode is Rob Illich, CEO of Social Republic, a social media agency based in Manchester and New York. The agency provides social media marketing services to brands that lack the time, knowledge and resources to run effective campaigns. Whether you like it or not, social media has become an integral part of our personal and business lives. Whether that's through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram, over the past few years we've all become connected to this global network. And yes, it can sometimes be a distraction, but utilised in the right way, social media is an incredibly powerful business tool, particularly in marketing your brand. However, with things moving so quickly these days and everything seemingly moving online, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and confused about how exactly you should be using social media. My hope is that after this conversation, you'll have a great understanding about the workings of social media and have a better idea of how you can use it to grow your own brand. In today's episode, amongst other things, Rob discusses the ways the older generation have become more social media savvy.
1: Older generations, older users, are becoming a lot more used to being sold to as well on social media, which they probably weren't used to you know five years ago it was a bit alien to them having these things pop up you know with an ad that is very very relevant to what they've been looking at
0: gives pointers on how to use linkedin's
1: algorithms to
0: your advantage
1: create content that keeps people on linkedin for as long as possible and engaging with your particular content so things like asking questions or using an interactive video
0: and reveals another way to distress
1: when you go into a room head to toe with protection art um you know masks gloves that sort of thing and you get to choose your weapon in terms of you can have baseball bats sledgehammers anything you want pretty much and you get to smash up objects like tvs laptops
0: let's get on with the show thank you rob thanks for joining me on the evolve to succeed podcast
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: Well, I'm really intrigued to learn more from you about your own personal journey and also delve into your expertise on social media. But to get us underway, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about the business that you run, Social Republic?
1: Yeah, so Social Republic is a global social media agency Uh, we've been running uh, since 2015. Um, The agency was built as a a new way, um, an alternative to traditional agencies based on my experience of both working in-house for brands and working agency side as well. So offering something really different for, for brands. And our ethos is that we work with brands with, you know, ambitious, famous brands and brands with ambition to become famous as well. Um, and we cover everything in terms of social. So uh, content creation, uh, paid advertising campaigns, influencer management, right through to kind of the strategy and the, the planning and uh, around brand tone of voice as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. So, perhaps if we could go back and just touch on your own personal journey. So, as I understand it, you were studying at uh, Connecticut University in 2006, and when you therefore became one of the first Britons to access Facebook, thanks to the fact that you had a US university uh, email address.
1: That's right. Um, Facebook back then was kind of almost like a badge of honour. Not so much now, especially when your parents are using it to <laughs> not necessarily spread fake news, but uh, it, not using it the way it was. Essentially, you know, intended. Uh, it's evolved so much over that time, but yeah, I think there were very, very basic social networks in two thousand and six. I'd never heard of Facebook. Um, it didn't exist in the UK at the time. You know, Mark Zuckerberg it only just created it. And then when I went to America uh, to study there, everyone was that was the thing people asked you, you know are you on Facebook? And uh, I just looked at them with, you know, dead (laughs) eyes. I was like, what's Facebook? And oh, it's amazing. And it was more of a, it was more of a network to get to know people, uh, communicate. So they had um, kind of AOL, instant messenger, they used quite heavily, which was like the, the version of WhatsApp, I guess, back then, but it was more, it was only on desktop. So you sat in your room and you know, you're talking to people around campus using AIM. Whereas Facebook was kind of, if you met somebody at a party or you put, joined a sports club and you wanted to to get to know them, it was just kind of the done thing. It was like, oh, what's your name? I'll, I'll add you on Facebook. And it just allowed you to very quickly build a big network of friends. There was no, no angle towards business whatsoever. Um, it just didn't exist. But with me studying international business and marketing, Um, I kind of noticed very quickly that there's a huge opportunity here. Just seeing the the growth of it within one year was ridiculous. And then I was a bit upset when it went public because then it was like our private network almost. Um, Nobody in the UK had it. Uh, When I got back, it was made public in the UK and you didn't have to have this university. You had to have a university address um, initially Because it was all around education uh, and universities. But um, then it went public, so anybody could join, and it it kind of felt like we'd lost a little bit of something. But obviously, fast forward 14 years, and it's great for (laughs) for business. (laughs) You know, I never thought it would have that much of an impact, but um, yeah, it's great for us now. Personally, I use it obviously for, for fundraising and to keep in touch with friends kind of across the pond, but I'm using other kind of platforms like WhatsApp or Instagram. But yeah, it's evolved yeah. massively. And then after I left university, I then moved to Manchester, um, when I came back to the UK. Um, and then from there for about eight years worked for, for different brands in, in tech and law. I worked in the legal industry and we worked for a very progressive firm uh, in terms of technology. They were very keen on pushing using social, pushing themselves using social. Um and then I worked for the technology companies and then after that work for agencies and i just found that when i was on the other side of the table in terms of people pitching to me for work whether it was seo or social media work um it always felt like there was a lack of transparency um and i felt like we were being pitched to by some somebody who was very senior but then the work was actually given to somebody who was very junior yeah and it wasn't fair on us because we were spending the budget and we expected someone to have a good knowledge of expertise within our industry, which if they did, it generally happened, it worked out that there was other competitors they were working with as well. So it was who paid the most, got the most attention sort of thing, which obviously a massive conflict of interest. And then if they didn't have somebody who was an expert within your industry, it was just given to a kind of a junior. And it's still the same way, you know, for some agencies, And I think things have, moved on since then but the reason for starting social republic was to it was to build teams around clients so they had they always have somebody who's an expert within their industry and someone has the finger on the pulse you know if you work in that particular industry you know what the you know the changes that are happening and, and what's relevant and what the trends so it definitely helps yeah.
0: great and it's interesting to hear about that you know what makes your model different but i just i've Read something about you, Rob, and you say that, you know, there was a cold calling scene in a film called The Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah. That sort of influenced you and kind of just changed your
1: thoughts and direction. Tell us about that. Yeah, um I guess that was the closest I, I guess I could describe it, but it kind of was taken from that that movie. So I would love to, you know, sit here and tell you I had the, the best plan in the world and this was the plan and then it, it well, didn't we all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I'm speaking at universities and and things like that, I always tell people to kind of don't do what I did, but also kind of do it because you need to don't make the same mistakes I did, obviously, but uh, you need to make mistakes because then you learn from them. So instead of, you know, sitting down and and planning before I kind of left my last full-time position, I think I just fell out of love with, you know, working for other people and, not having the freedom to create my own campaigns or work with the clients I wanted. And I think I was really frustrated with that. So uh, yeah, I didn't technically have um, a huge plan. Um, I had an idea of what I was going to do. but There was no made grand plan. So I I just made, I left my job on the Friday and I realized that I'd spent a little bit too much money going on holiday and, and and other things and, you know, enjoying living in the, in the city center, which was a huge mistake because um, starting a business and no money is, not the best start. For sure. Not the
0: best of foundations, is it? Many of us do it, but it—it's yeah. not how you plan to do it. I'd agree with that. Well,
1: yeah, it—it it makes you work harder, but you, you don't have to if, if you just, you know, if you've been smart enough to save a little bit of money, um, it would make things a lot easier and stress-free. Um So I didn't have the cash. I didn't have clients. I could build a website, a basic website using a theme and HTML. So sort I of did that to build the agency website, and then. It, obviously, it's a little bit, di- a little bit different in the pursuit of happiness because he has the old style telephone and he saves time. This is Will Smith. Um, he saves time by not putting the phone down physically, but using his finger to put it down so he can call somebody quicker because he's competing against other people. And the person who makes the most money at the end of the day wins the, the job and the career on, on Wall Street. Um, and he does that, but I, I took the same kind of, um, method and i basically made a list of all the people because i'd worked in the industry for like eight years anyway so i'd, I'd built up a massive you
0: black book and your contacts and reputation you, i suppose didn't you
1: yeah a lot of people say you know it's not what you know it's who you know and it, it, it is right sometimes because that network of people is imperative really you know it, it can just open up so much so many avenues and i basically started with just using my mobile phone, I just had a list, this black, black book as you said, um, of people I didn't know very well at the top. Um, where if I if I called them up and said, you know, can we work with you? If they said no, you know, there was, I didn't feel that bad um, because I didn't know them that well. And then as the day went on, I you know getting knocked back. You know, I might have not spoken to someone for a couple of years, or it's just not the right time for them, that sort of thing. Cold call, and I can't imagine. I, I feel. I feel for anyone who who does it because it it must be a really really hard process. But yeah, so I work my way down this list and I slowly towards you know you're getting you're feeling negative and you're feeling down. And you're thinking I'm not gonna. I mean, this is only one day. Like, so yeah, I had like a month to pay my rent. But anyway, this is your so. dream. You've set up your business and this is this is the opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, it, it does get it does get you down a little bit when people say no, but you. Yeah, think about it now, you know, it was only it was only one day, but I was just trying to do it all in one, you know, all in one day. But yeah. I started working my way down the list and I started to get to people I knew quite well. And it's that that point where you have to throw ego and pride basically yes. out the window. Yeah. Just say, Look, I'm starting this new venture. This is why we're different. You know, you've worked with me before. And there was a couple of people, um, you know, decided to work with me and it was just great. It was good timing and, and the fact that I'd built a relationship with them before. And one of them was my old, my very first boss. So the, a lady who gave me my break, I guess, um, yeah. she left the company that we work together um, at and she started her own charity. Um, and she needed, she knew how good I was, I was at social. So it was something she didn't have the time to do. So she said, yeah, you can come work with me. So, And that was the that was the very beginning, and yeah, got from
0: there and built it from there, haven't you? Yeah, I see that you've got some you know really large corporates now on your client list, including Red Bull, NatWest, Co-op, and other organisations, as well as some smaller businesses. Do you have you seen those large organisations really change their view of social media in recent years and how they utilise it as a marketing tool?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because large organisations like the ones you mentioned have multiple teams, multiple departments. So you might find that one department has their own agency that they work with and then we would work with another department simply because they're so big. They generally don't keep it towards one agency. But yeah, um, they obviously have more in terms of flexibility, budget, which which definitely helps. Certainly in the way they've changed the way they're using influencers, Um, it used to be a case of, let's work with anybody who's got the the most followers sort of tactic. And then obviously we advised them and started to realize that although say if you were working with a female influencer who had a million followers and you wanted to promote um, a luxury female handbag brand, we might actually find from the research that 999,000 of her followers are actually men and right. the audience isn't there. So Working with that particular influencer is, is redundant because you're not going to get the returns. But a lot of what a lot of brands did was kind of just chuck the money at influencers just to get you know reach. But yeah. that has changed dramatically in terms of going from the mega influencers down to what we call micro now. So um, it could be you know Instagram user with less than two thousand followers, but this person's followers are all her friends, for example, and. All engage with that piece of content and are actually influenced and will actually take an action uh, off the back of something they've posted. But yeah, it, certainly in terms of um, increasing spend across paid social as the social networks have evolved and you know got better at what they do and the the metrics they report on, uh, yeah. definitely seeing you know more budget and even smaller brands as well. You know, it's taking you know sitting up and taking notice and especially during lockdown, you know, we've been busier than ever because generally people have not had a lot to do, so they're generally just going towards social and they're using social a lot more.
0: Yeah, that interaction must have, you know, when you can't meet in the real world, you're going to interact socially online, aren't you? So I can see how that could happen. But that that term influencer is perhaps sometimes thrown around in less than kind of flattering terms, isn't it? There's a perception that, you know, is it the real world? Is it a real job? Is it people just being paid to post selfies and all of that and so how would you define an influencer and I suppose you've touched on it when you were talking just then but if a business you know a smaller business wants to engage with an influencer how do they go about doing that how do they find the influencer that might suit their brand and work with their brand
1: yeah it's a good question you'll see now even people on LinkedIn have the job title influencer and they may be it you know, when we come on to definition. But there's also um, virtual influencers. I don't know if you've seen those, but they're CGI-created users. Um, Some of them have got over a million followers, Um, and they're there just to promote brands. I can't comment on on the success of any of those, but it's interesting to see. (laughs) I think it has done more of a kind of social experiment to see whether it would work, and it it kind of did. I, I don't think a lot of people couldn't tell the difference between this CGI created person and imagine the things you could do because you, you know, you could create anything using CGI and obviously you've got all the um, deep fake things. uh, That's another, that's another conversation. But (laughs) for me, the kind of definition is somebody who effectively influences someone to take an action. So they're recommending a particular product and you, you can spot, especially when you work in within the industry, you can spot very quickly whether someone's doing that effectively or not. It's like if you're used to advertising newspapers, you wouldn't put, you wouldn't put an ad in the paper just once because you can't get traction, you can't get momentum. You don't you can't test it against anything because you you can't tell whether the ad in week one has performed better than the ad in week two. And it's the same for influencer campaigns. Um, a lot of brands make the mistake of throwing money at influencers who they, they think are relevant. And then, for example, you know, teeth whitening product is a classic, very much a cliche now <laughs> in the influencer yeah. world. Um But they they just promote the product once and then they just gamble on the chance that whoever's following A has seen that post because it's, you know, the feeds nowadays, you know, so competitive. Um So whether they've actually seen that post and whether they've actually taken an action as well. That's why brands are moving to smaller, more kind of niche influencers. In terms of finding them, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of platforms out there that you can use that will do it for you for free. Uh, Obviously, the more you pay, the more kind of insight you get um, in terms of their engagement rates, audiences, their kind of example costs. But a lot of it is manual. So actually searching for them yourself. And then the best thing to do is find, find a user and then look at the content they're creating. Does it match with your particular brand if you're a brand that is kind of risk averse and um, isn't controversial it's quite traditional if a user's you know p- potentially swearing within the post or the posts are a little bit controversial you might not want to align yourself with them if you feel like they are a good match and the content they're putting out is is relatable then the next thing and what probably one of the most important is to look at audience so use particular pieces of software or do, do your own research in terms of who is their audience? Is that audience the people you want to target? Because it's not the influencer necessarily; it's who they're speaking to. Yeah, who it sense. gets
0: put in front of.
1: Yeah, y- yeah, exactly. And a lot of the time, this research, it, it, obviously, when people come to us, it is. But a lot of time, this research isn't done, and it's why influencer campaigns fail. So, yeah, you want to look at who's been shown to, and the probability of it actually being shown to those people which you can calculate based on standard engagement rates um, across their, You know, you could look at the last 10 posts, yeah. for example, work out their average engagement rate. And then you have to look at, okay, based on that engagement rate, how many people are going to drive to the website and then how many people are going to drop off at that point and then how many people actually are ultimately going to purchase, you know, whether it's a product or a service. Brilliant.
0: And what's your feeling on, you know, I suppose an ambitious owner managed business, entrepreneurial business, and you know, how do they get the right mix between perhaps traditional marketing and social marketing? Because there's got to be a balance, hasn't there? And I think a lot of businesses are still trying to find their way to find what the right balance is for them.
1: Yeah, um, it's I feel like social has become a bigger part of that mix over the last certainly over the last five years. Um, I still very much think traditional marketing is important, um, but again, it comes down to audiences. So, a lot of brands that come to us, um, we have to almost change their mindset in a way because they say their audience might be forty, you know, quite affluent, forty to sixty-year-olds who only use Facebook and still read the newspapers or you know, physical newspapers, not not in the yellow pages. Obviously, they've gone, but uh, you know, very traditional in the way they. Um, are sold to and the way they react but we have to explain to them that we understand that's your audience now and that we can target them through our methods on social and we could discuss obviously what you're doing offline but you have to look at the kind of next generation of people that are coming through because that's not going to be your audience forever you've got to look at the the next kind of batch the next generation of customers and look at what platforms they're using and, and get into their their minds now and one thing we do as an agency is we work quite closely with other agencies, which might sound alien, but, you know, my kind of ethos is, you know, if the, if the river floods and we're all in boats and we're all going to float sort of thing, um, yeah. we all need to work together. We're, we're all working towards the end goal and that's helping that particular brand. So whether it's an SEO agency, whether it's, um, you know, a outdoor media company, we all need to work together and, and, and push together. Um, and it does work well, but I definitely think social is becoming a bigger part of the mix now, more than ever.
0: And are you seeing sort of? I think again, you've alluded it to there. The older generations, sort of, actually, do you think it's out of necessity they're engaging with social media, or do you think it's they're just, you know, because those older generations are definitely starting to engage with social media more, aren't they? And have you have you seen that? change over the years and how's that changed your approach to sort of social media marketing
1: yeah i I definitely now regret showing my parents social media (laughs) (laughs) i got sent so much stuff and it's like there's a there's a a joke in south park about parents and facebook and things like that and it's it's so true it's like you know why i mean like why you like the picture posted on facebook it's like well you know 34 years old i've got a job and you know i'm not not using facebook that much anymore and you know why haven't you accepted my friend request and all it's like you're my parent of course you my friend you know means something different to them i think obviously as they've seen say for example parents who may be in the, the 40s or 50s they've started to see their children use it and i think they've seen the benefits of it from a communication point of view so you know Communicating with an old aunt in Australia, for example, you know, it's so easy using something like Facebook um, yeah. or Instagram. And I think just from an education point of view, I think, yeah, us was showing parents the benefits has helped. And then, you know, my nieces, I they're almost like my guinea pigs because they're using things like, they're quite young, so they're like nine and 12. So they're using things like TikTok and Snapchat. So I'm always talking to them about, what's all right what's the latest feature on snapchat and they show me and it's like these are the kids that are using it every day so i'm like constantly learning from them um, yeah which is almost like what my parents did with, with facebook and, and i think from an advertising point of view i think i mentioned facebook so much because the older generation generally are using things like facebook some annoyingly my mum's joined instagram so now, like yeah, you know, like look, looking at my pictures on Instagram and it's cascading
0: like, down. Rob. It, it,
1: it <laughs> seems to be yeah. Even on LinkedIn as well, seen like a, a a rise in um, older users uh, using LinkedIn. Yeah. I think just becoming a, a favourite things and getting used to them. Yeah. And I think people are used to older, older generations, older users are becoming a lot more used to being sold to as well on social media, which did probably weren't used to you know five years ago it was a bit alien to them having these things pop up you know with an ad that is very very relevant to what they've been looking at yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What happened
0: there>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i and interesting you talk about linkedin and obviously a lot of businesses are b2b and so and you know i think you talk a lot so far about b2c and i would just be intrigued to Those that are B2B businesses, what sort of channels do you think they should be using?
1: Yeah, another good question. I absolutely love LinkedIn. Um, I'm not being paid by them to say this, Um, (laughs) which I was because LinkedIn is my absolute favorite platform. But as, you know, the CEO of a company, it's where my audience is. My audience is also on Facebook and Instagram, but where I'm going to generate the best results is on LinkedIn. And it's a platform that's got so much opportunity right now. I'm discussing this um, in, a, in a talk uh, next month around just simply the, the feeds in, on platforms like Instagram and you know, TikTok and Facebook are so busy. Uh, there's so much going on and the algorithm is really hard to crack in comparison to LinkedIn, whereas LinkedIn's almost like a developing baby. Um, yeah. They still haven't figured it out completely. And because the content isn't great, at the moment it's a huge opportunity to create something that's different which if you've seen my feed you'll you'll know what i'm talking about but i just do that because that's an an expression of my personality um you know i post post memes and uh, stupid videos but that is me and that's kind of my i guess authentic self um in terms of b2b and where they should be again it's where their audiences are so a brand might come to us and say oh we want to use twitter and uh, Facebook and, and, you know, every social network that exists on YouTube. But then we look at it and say, well, actually, where is your audience? You know, are they using Instagram? And once we do the research, we show them that actually, you know, the, the prize is, is on LinkedIn, for example, or that, you know, uh, they're going to get the most out of LinkedIn. It's it's a good feeling because you, you can see that that change in mindset. So we always look where the audience is because, and it's also important, you may have found your audience on there, but are they, is that particular audience comfortable with you creating content that is aimed at them? You know, are they used to it? And do they currently engage with it? Is, something, is it something new? Yeah, it all depends on audience. And this is why it's a full-time job for us, is because there'll be a certain company, it could be a B2B company, but they may have one audience persona that uses LinkedIn, let's say an older audience, but they may also sell to a younger audience, which are also using, they're using Instagram. So then you have to change your tone of voice, your content, the times you post, everything. So it's a full on strategy.
0: So I'm in- interested in talking about LinkedIn because that is a platform that just seems to be trying to transform itself yes. in recent, well, I won't say recent months, probably over the last 18 months. And it's become more the business kind of platform. But it's one of those, Platforms, I suppose, it's like any social media platform, isn't it? Where you get the irritants, the way you kind of think, oh, somebody sends you an invitation to connect, you connect, Mm -hmm. and then you just get bombarded with these very kind of nearly crass kind of sales kind of messages, junk and stuff. So, what does good look like on LinkedIn (laughs) if you want to sell on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this because, yeah, yeah. as I I mentioned before, you know, do love LinkedIn and. There's some people out there who are just amazing at the content that they, they create, and it's interesting. You mentioned about the the messages that you get once you connect, and I feel like def- these people definitely don't have the right strategy. Um, it's just a numbers game for them, um, and it might work. Um, but
0: so it's the cold calling kind of methodology, I suppose, isn't it? Of the old days.
1: Yeah, same thing. Just you know, telephone book, nearly off. Uh, off we go. <laughs> yeah just contact as many people as you can, whether it's relevant, whether they're a relevant person or not. And, um, you know, if you did spend some time and did some, did some research, you might get better figures in terms of sales, but um, yeah, it's just reach as many people as possible and just hope for, hope for the best. But I've actually been using, I just used to, I went through a period where I just tried to help people and, you know, replied and said, you know, this isn't for me. You might want to target someone else, but then you just get bogged down in replying and then got,
0: you're more tolerant than me, Rob.
1: <laughs> i don't know why I uh i just try to try to be nice and you know
0: you're trying to be polite <laughs>
1: trying to be, yeah too polite <laughs> trying to help people but uh then i was like oh i've got you know i've got a job to do better not better get off linkedin um and then i then i just did the standard thing where i just kind of ignored it and archived the messages um, because i want my inbox to be kind of Almost like my inbox, my email inbox, where it's yeah. things I, I want to reply to, or um, might be a piece of content that someone sent me that I want to use. But now I've been using it for fundraisers. So it's a little bit cheeky, but I was thinking over the weekend that a lot of people could potentially use this. So when you get a message um, and it's not relevant, and it, it, it's somebody selling to you and asking to use it for a, f- a 15 minute chat, you know, get you, yeah. ask for your time for a 15 minute chat. I've been replying to them now for the uh, last week or so with just a little message that said, you know, thanks for getting in touch, but um, I'm happy to spend 15 minutes of my time talking to, about your product, um, but you have to make a donation to my fundraising at first. So it's kind of, if they don't, I've not lost anything. And if they do, I get a donation. Yeah. And so ultimately <laughs> so, oh, you know. like I'm selling myself, but um but I was just thinking how businesses could potentially use that. You know, you know, I'm happy to look at your product or whatever, but I want you to share this for example. Or oh, I want you to share this piece of content wow. I've got There's a yeah. huge opportunity there because they've started a conversation. You know, why not yeah. use it? Um so yeah, my mindset has changed a little bit. But okay. what does
0: an interesting approach. But what does good <laughs> look like? Yeah. So what does, what does good, good content look like?
1: Good content. I've started to see over the last couple of years, and, and the, there's some amazing individuals that that stand out and and have inspired me as well. Because I was kind of like, I'm seeing the I'm the CEO of you know an, an agency, and we're growing. and I don't want to seem too silly, and um I've got, I've got to be very serious. But then all these other people putting great content out, and I thought, but well, I'm not a massively serious person, I am you know, a little bit silly sometimes. And I wanted my content and my feed to be a reflection of of me and just show the real me. And that's not for everyone. You know, not everyone is the same. Uh, Some people might be worse. So I don't really, I don't swear too much on my posts, whereas other people just don't care and, you know, don't say anything. Whereas I'm a bit, little bit more reserved. I think good is um, obviously being active. And we'll come on to company pages versus personal pages because that's a whole the conversation yeah being active so whether it's um, connecting with people that are relevant you know sending messages to people that you you might want to speak to posting out regular content so content usually uh, some people disagree but I I feel like every day you should be within you should be in the feed Um, because as more and more people start to post you've got less time to kind of uh, get in front of people and post content that people want to see so if you're selling a product Nobody wants to be sold to, so they're never going to react to a post that is just, a, you know, a big sales pitch. A lot of people make the mistake of putting links in their content, but any social network will demote a, a post with a link in it, unless it keeps them within their platform. Right. So LinkedIn so if it takes them off
0: elsewhere. Yeah, it's a no-no.
1: Yeah, basically, so LinkedIn will demote any kind of post with a link in it. If it's an external link, because it's taking the user away from LinkedIn, and it, ultimately the way to the way to kind of not beat the algorithm, I guess, or work with the algorithm, is to create content that keeps people on LinkedIn for as long as possible and engaging with your particular content. So things like asking questions or using an interactive video and um, documents are massive in terms of point scoring for the algorithm. Uh, so. If you upload a PDF, that's quite useful and it's quite fun um, and easy to read. Generally they, they work better. Now I I'd like to, to mix my content up, um, in terms of brand pillars, I've got different things. So I'll have a brand pillar for kind of to show I've got my finger on the pulse. So it'll be like, here's the latest Instagram feature that got launched yesterday. sort of thing. so it shows people that I'm relevant and you know, on the ball, and then there'll be kind of a, a fun and personal one. So just kind of taking the mickey out of current situations. Obviously, lockdown has been great for content Perfect. creation purposes. Yeah. I mean, the year's been crap, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but content-wise has been gold mine But, yeah, just having a little bit of fun, just trying to sh- show people and create content that when people go on LinkedIn, it's not all serious and they, the things they can relate to, for example, like You know the old one used the old piece of content we used to be um, talking about when people used to leave fish in the microwave and things like that. It's something that everyone could relate to, and it was annoyed everybody. And there was always someone within the office. Obviously, it's changed now because we're working from home, so you've got to kind of adapt to that. And then the other one is just kind of around uh, social in general, like what's going on, uh, more kind of opinion pieces, thought leadership, that sort of thing.
0: Um, so they're, they're, they're your three kind of pillars. I like that. I like that. And I, I think that the, the interesting thing is about particularly, or, or no, all social media channels, but ones that are a mix between business and personal. Okay, the personal social media channels where everybody tends to be authentic, don't they? Because, you know, they're mixing with their sort of friendship groups or people that know them on, on that. But that trying to get your personality across on something like LinkedIn or any of the other social media channels when you're trying to do it from a business perspective, can be challenging, can't it? But your advice is just be yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think you should be yourself, um, whatever that may be and whatever it may look like. Because you've got to think about the relationship, potential relationship you can have with with people as a result, business-wise. It's like when we speak to brands and then we work on their strategy and their tone of voice, we always ask them, what are you like to work with internally? So if you're selling a a service, for example, it's all well and good as creating amazing social content and look how friendly we are and this sort of thing. But when the customer actually goes to the team and the team are actually a little bit miserable or something, you know, they don't get the same experience. So that's why I think it's so important to just be yourself because when people actually do start to work with you, they're not like, oh, you don't really seem like that. You know, you might say to me, you're not that funny in person, but I can put a good meme out. (laughs) You know, I'm quite relaxed. um, And I think my feed shows that. So, yeah, you know, show people what they're actually going to get in real life. It's really
0: interesting, isn't it? Because and I suppose that's where you play a difficult role as an agency, because if you're selling yourself or selling your business in the kind of real world, you meet somebody, you'll engage, you'll have a coffee, you'll have a chat. And people get to know each other and build this kind of right, you are a personality that I could work with, I like your energy, you know, you seem fun, all of those, or you seem serious, depending on what they want to buy. Yeah. But as an agency, when you're starting to put content together for others, you have to get that persona right. Otherwise it's a complete disconnect, isn't it? Because yeah. how somebody comes across on social, if as you say, they don't behave like that when engaged with in the real world, then that's not going to go on forever, is it?
1: No. uh, Yeah, you make a good point. One of the the first things a brand should do or a new business should do is look at tone of voice before they even think about the social media strategy, really. You know, how do you want... And it's something we always go through first. And a lot of brands, obviously the bigger they are, the more resources they have, they may already have that in place. If it's a new company, a startup, they may kind of just be getting to grips with it and they may not understand what their tone of voice is. So they may, you know, the director might have a different idea of what the tone of voice would be in comparison to the business. So, yeah, look at tone of voice and how you want to be perceived by your audience first and build that messaging. So how do you how do you talk to your customers? One, some really, really good questions are, um, for example, who would you want to play your brand in a movie? And it's it's quite an easy one. To, for people to say, yeah. oh, so one of them was, one brand we worked with, they said, oh, it's got to be Idris Elba. Uh, you know, he's reliable, uh, he's successful, uh, he's he's well-known, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas another one was, um I'm trying to think of the other one, it might be uh, Holly Willoughby because, um, not a, not an actress, but uh, they wanted her to be the kind of face of the brand because she was respected. Um, she didn't swear too much, but she was homely, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um So yeah, kind of putting a face on it. And it's quite easy to do that with a celebrity. So either who would play your brand in a movie or who would you like to represent your brand in an ideal world? And then even to questions like which supermarket would your brand be or newspaper? The other one is what would be, what film title describes your brand? So we initially thought, well, it's got to be the social network, obviously. Um, but then we thought, no, that's too boring. Um, so we said, um, limitless would probably describe us because. Okay.
0: Yeah. Great film. We feel, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah,
1: it's good film. We felt like the possibilities are pretty much endless with social and, and that's how we are and we're progressive and constantly learning. So, um, it's an interesting exercise. Um, but there's lots of documents out there that you can find for free on Google if you just kind of research turn the voice. Um, and the question mm-hmm. to ask yourself. Um, They definitely do
0: work. Fantastic. And that's a great starting point for anybody listening to this podcast, isn't it? And you you talk about channels and there's new channels coming on all the time. And some channels then become sort of passe and sort of dated. And where do you see the future? So where, if you roll forward in for two years time in terms of social media and social media channels, where do you think we're heading? What's happening in the marketplace?
1: Oof, it's a tough question. (laughs) Is it? this is really interesting because I was speaking to my niece the other day. She's nine. She's got, just as a disclaimer, she's got private accounts. So it's not like she's, you know, nine-year-old shouldn't really use, be using yeah. social media to fair. But the, her parents have um, got them private accounts. So only very close friends and family can actually access content, which is good. And you know, it was something I advised. And um, she's, you know, we're always talking about things like TikTok and she's showing me the latest feature. And then I said to her, what do you want to do in 10 years? Like, what do you want to do when you're 18, 19? And she said, oh, I want to be, I want to be a TikTok star. And I said to her, I was laughing, I was like, oh my God, like how things have changed from like when I was a kid, you know, I'm 34, but you know, I, I wanted to be a footballer or, you know, yeah. kids grow up, maybe wanting to be like a lawyer or, you know, something like that or, and then now it's like, I want to be a YouTube influencer <laughs> um, and it's all our fault. But um, I said to her, TikTok won't I exist in 10 years. And she said, yeah, it will. And I said, I guarantee it probably won't. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, the, if the US government don't shut yeah. <laughs> Certainly not in America anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, doubt, I doubt it will. I feel I'm actually going to post something on LinkedIn about this, uh, this week around. Could... TikTok being banned in the US be a good opportunity for everyone else who's on TikTok in the UK and, you know, in other countries. And as a network itself, could it be actually a, a good thing? You know, if you look at things that were banned in the, in the past and a couple of my examples were Prohibition and, and Eminem. <laughs> you know, more people yeah. were interested in it because it got banned. They were just, there, that's my starting point. But I feel like there's so many social networks try uh, there's been loads that have come out recently. And do you know what? There's been some really, really good ones that have actually taken the good things from other, so from existing social networks and tried to create something new. And I've looked and gone, yeah, oh, this is amazing. And then nobody uses it because everyone's stuck on the same platforms. And I just feel like there's going to be almost like a monopoly. I hope it doesn't go this way, but I feel like the big players are generally going to swallow everything up and there's going to be less essentially, but owned by, yeah, a few.
0: And that's what you see happening, isn't it? Any new network that seems to be building and getting traction, one of the big players does swallow and buy it out, takes the best features of it, adds it to their platform and, you know, cuts it off at its knees, really.
1: Yeah, pretty much, because these big networks, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, and it's so easy for them to to swallow up the smaller ones. Um, Obviously, anything kind of political, could change this completely because if anything political, you know, happens to say, for example, Facebook, then it could see, you know, the growth of smaller networks. If, if they're banned, if they start to get banned in other countries, then, you know, it all depends on um, politics as well. I think society, I think we, nobody likes change. So everyone just sticks to the same thing. And it's really interesting now to see like older audiences generally using Facebook. Maybe a little bit of Instagram and Pinterest. Kids on the other end of the spectrum, um, again, mentioning my guinea pig nieces, um, they don't watch TV anymore. So I remember as a kid, you know, you get back from school and it'd be like, oh yeah, TV shows, you know, Saved by the Bell and uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel Air and all those sort of shows. I used to love getting home from school to, you know, to watch those. And the first thing they do is get home, put on the TV and go on YouTube. And they don't watch TV. I see it, I've got two daughters who are 11 and 15 and the 11 year old in particular the 15 year old
0: probably engages a bit more with kind of, I suppose Netflix but you know, telly generally but yeah, the 11 year old is just YouTube YouTube, YouTube, on the telly, YouTube yeah
1: (laughs) as they get older they start to um, get used to other platforms so obviously Instagram and things like Pinterest and Snapchat so yeah, it's very interesting, it's going to be a very interesting shift over the kind of next five years um yeah i think politics has a huge a huge effect on what could potentially happen brilliant
0: just back to social republic as a business i see you've also got an office in new york yes when and how is that set up and is it it must be quite challenging having the two offices one in manchester one in new york and yeah how do you make that work
1: yeah um it's difficult you obviously have to rely on teams over in the states um to do their job as well as you know in the UK, and I think having that from my point of view, because I'm I'm not flying out to New York every every week, has kind of helped us in this situation. So I was always jumping on calls, you know, I was always on Zoom, whereas I, I do that every day now. You know, I'm just we yeah. have <laughs> a team meeting every Monday and Friday, and they're all you know on Google Hangout, so or Google Meet. So um, you kind of got used to that, and that was that happened a couple of years ago. And the idea was obviously I'd already lived out there, so I understood kind of the, the culture quite well. Um, I had friends around the area so they could advise, you know, where was the best place. And it was more just to show brands that were progressive, but obviously, uh, that were you know venturing into new markets. And we get a lot of inquiries from U.S.-based companies. And in terms of you know, the time difference isn't a huge thing with America, um, certainly not on the East Coast. Yeah, that East Coast of America, the time difference isn't significant. Isn't,
0: it's workable with.
1: No, it's it's not as bad as um Australian clients, Um, but we we have um, account managers assigned in the countries. So um, we have account managers in the US. So they those account managers work with our UK based account managers as well. But they're there obviously to to look after the client on their time zone and also but they have that understanding of the market. You know the way that um, US customers react to social kind of ads is very very different to the UK. Can be I was going more. to
0: ask that. I was going to say, you know, is there a, there's clearly a big cultural difference and does that flow through into the social media and how they engage with it and what difference is there?
1: It, it's interesting. All the calls I've ever been on with, you know, potential clients in the US or existing clients, uh, they're so different. And even when I was there, you know, you just found out that, you know, the culture is so, even though we speak English, we are completely foreign. Like, in the UK, and we have our, obviously we have some kind of um, similarities, I would say, but the way they do business is very different. Um, they're very, we would see it as abrupt. I don't. Um, I just see it as kind of straight. Uh, we're yeah. we're very reserved in in the UK. Yeah. In America, they just say what they think, which I love because you kind of know where you stand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is much. There isn't much grey. Is there? It's fairly black and white in a Not lot brown. of things.
1: And they are, in terms of finger on the pulse, you know, they are on the ball in terms of social. So they have a really, really good understanding. I think in the UK, we're a little bit behind. In Australia, I think even further behind um, in terms of tech and understanding of social. Um, But the US, yeah, they're they're very much on the ball. So, yeah, as a business, it has its challenges because you've got more staff to worry about. You've got more overheads. yeah, yeah, yeah. you got teams to to think about, but I think um, this lockdown situation has kind of brought us all together. If that makes sense, yeah. Because we're all on Google Meet, um, it allows us to meet more people. You know, clients in the in the US, um, and you know, happy to just jump on and jump on calls and um, yeah, yeah. It has it has simplified kind of, things, I suppose. Yeah, but, yeah, in a way, yeah. And more people are used to having these calls as well, so it's not like a case of we have to have a team. Because obviously we've only got a base in New York where we're working with a company in Texas at the moment. But because of so everyone's so used to calls, it means that we don't have to fly a team out from New York to Texas, for example, yeah. if they want to meet somebody. We can do that over Google. So it definitely has simplified things. And
0: do you think that trend is going to continue, or do you think, you know, post pandemic you know people will want to engage again more physically or do you think that it's been going on for long enough now that the change has taken place and sort of remote meetings and everything will continue
1: i think it's i think the shift has happened definitely i think people are, are so used to this way of working now i don't think many people will want to go back to as many physical meetings which probably didn't need to have travel yeah, of travel
0: about. yeah the effect on the environment and everything isn't it it's been huge
1: yeah there was some i think it was like a month after lockdown you know the i think going into april there was some nasa satellite uh, photography of, of how you know smog and reduced and things like that yeah um, and pollution had, had gone down and somebody posted on linkedin last week i think it got about 100,000 likes or something, it was ridiculous. I thought, I wish I'd posted this. i
0: missing a drink.
1: <laughs> but I remember seeing those pictures and they were spectacular
0: in their contrast, weren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this person uh, simply put that, you know, it, the reason this posted so well because it was so relevant to everyone around the world. And he just put that, um, think about pollution's gone down, your time commuting has gone down the time you've spent, you know, in meetings that you don't really need to be in, um, meal deal, you know, money spent on meal deals has gone <laughs> down. It, it, all kind of positive things. Um, I definitely think from our point of view, there's been a shift. Um, we've got teams in Bahrain and Switzerland as well. And okay. It just, you know, everyone jumps on the call. You know, we, we try and make it as easy for them as possible in terms of time differences. And, um, and also in Bahrain, their weekend starts on a Friday. Yeah. So the team have actually been really good because they've said we'll still join on a Friday, even though it's our weekend, really? which don't expect them to do. But because we're doing it in the UK, but they, they said, you know, they're happy to do it because it's only like, like an hour out of the day. But you have to think about things like that. But it's just been so much easier.
0: I'm gonna go off for a slight tangent here because you you see, you know, China's the big one where they lock down networks and stuff, but even in Bahrain, which is can be quite an oppressive regime, can't it? Do you see government influencing the networks in those countries? Or do they let them fly?
1: Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the brands we work with generally aren't selling products in those countries. Like. they might be selling to the u k or to australia or, or somewhere else somewhere where they're not restricted, that generally right. so they're but,
0: outbound from those kind of countries yeah
1: yeah, so a lot of the Chinese uh, clients that we work with they are generally looking to work with an agency based in the u k because they want to sell a product in the u k and not in china if they do come to if they do want to sell it in their own country, then yeah it does have a massive effect, for example, China's a great example, you know it's just WeChat. and if you talk about monopoly. Look at China. You know they've got one. They haven't got other social networks, but the the one that everybody uses is, is WeChat, and yeah. we, WeChat does everything. I mean everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can just control your whole life with with WeChat. Everything is done through that that network. Whereas they don't have, you know, WhatsApp's banned, Facebook's banned, yeah. um TikTok probably get banned in the US, I'd imagine. Uh, Unless they pay Trump some kind of some money. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, you control you can control your whole life through WeChat or the China Chinese yeah. government controlling them, hey? <laughs> well
1: yeah, that's the yeah, that's the thing. That's uh, the danger, I suppose, isn't it? So
0: yeah. one last question on Social Republic. I saw that you want to place on the government's one point four billion digital framework. Yes. So what's that all about?
1: So yeah, the framework Basically, means that any kind of government agency, whether local or national, they can work with approved suppliers. So there's a process you have to go through to get approved. And it's not just for social media. It can be anything from anything digital related. So it could be website building, SEO, um, PR, for example. Um, social is just one part of that kind of yeah. mix. But it just means we're a recommended supplier to government departments. Um, and we work worked with, with government in the past. Um, And it just allows them to kind of speed up the tender process um, if they've got a list of approved suppliers. If there's a particular project we want to work on, we then just have to submit the tender that they put together. But yeah, it's a digital framework, so there's there's not too many people on it. It's not, um, you know, overflowing. Um,
0: Great opportunity then. Fantastic. If it removes some of that red tape of working with local authorities and government, then it's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? So. Just a, what's been your few personal questions, I suppose. What's been your most satisfying moment in business?
1: (laughs) Start with the easy ones. (laughs) (laughs) Most satisfying moment in business. So this is difficult for me because I have a a constant struggle and I'm sure other founders, and I'm not sure about yourself, um, but I I struggle to celebrate the the small wins. which I think is so important, but I am getting better. And I I think the first step is acknowledging that you've got that problem um, and not celebrating like small things that might happen, you know, things that you just think, oh, that's kind of part and parcel of of the job. I think obviously getting the business set up and winning the first client was kind of the biggest, um, not eureka moment, but biggest moment in terms of growth. Um, I just think hiring your first member of staff is a huge yeah, huge moment Ch- kind of that. Yeah, changes definitely. everything for the for good and for bad because it's, it is <laughs> yeah. very difficult Once you start
0: that train it's not going to
1: stop <laughs> no no that's the thing I think it's more of a every week every day sort of progression I would say yeah. uh, if yeah. I'm allowed to say that yeah you so are learning to celebrate small wins and especially during lockdown obviously I'm not with teams so I, I can't physically be with people to say you know thank you so much for your hard work so um with staff we um if they want i don't know how (laughs) luckily the team hasn't taken up too much but we said um we basically give everyone a takeaway every week if they wanted one, or like a you know if you want to dine out yeah you could do it fortunately um not everyone's taking it up but you know, they're not using it every day sort of thing. But the idea was that every week, um, you know, to celebrate your week, you could, you could dine out or, or whatever it may be. Um, so we do like things like that. We send uh, members of staff, you know, uh, crates of beer. Um, so every client that we want, we used to, uh, depending on who worked on that campaign, um, a certain person within that team, you know, in a random order would get to choose the celebration. So, if it was physically in person, you know, we might go bowling or um, in Manchester you can, you can go axe throwing and that sort of thing. That hasn't
0: reached sport, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or the, there's a thing called the, it's called Temper Tank and it's in Manchester. And it, we were going to set up this event for marketing managers and the idea behind it is just to get rid of all your stress. So at this place, you basically, you go into a room, head to toe with protection on, um you know masks gloves that sort of thing and you get to choose your weapon in terms of you can have baseball bats sledgehammers anything you want pretty much and you get to smash up you know objects like TVs laptops <laughs> anything and you just go in and you just get rid of all your stress so these little things are all around manchester you know, it's so gentrified right now and so much <laughs> quirky stuff uh so you can go axe throwing or you can smash things up uh with a baseball bat if you want to, but <laughs> those are the things we used to do and um, we can't do that anymore. Um, not at the moment, as we're in no. a, another lockdown. But, um, so what we've done is just say, for example, um, a member of, one of our members of our team, she likes cider, for example, we might send her like a, a crate of cider or um, someone else likes gin, we might send them a local gin, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. And just
0: those things to show appreciation, which is really important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just a lot of things like saying thank you, you know, at the end of every call, you know, thanks for, thanks for working hard and, you know, thanks for your time. Because it is a really stressful situation for everybody. And we've hired people during lockdown and I've never met them before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so but you've got to just get on with it. You've just got to continue to hire, haven't you? You've got to just continue to find the new way of doing things. You can't stop and pause. And I suppose that's so much more true in a business like yours, Rob. Um, just got to keep your foot on the gas. If you, you know, if you're in an industry in a business that can thrive, and you know, then you've got to do that. You can't just pause and look around you.
1: Absolutely, and um, a lot of businesses, and we saw this during the recession. The first thing they cut is marketing spend because yeah. they panic. And if you think about it, marketing is there because you're spending money to get a return. And if your marketing is working, why wouldn't you put more money into? advertising because less people are doing it so our ethos is to kind of invest more in advertising and marketing during you know a time like this when people stop um, yeah i don't know why people are, you know, the marketing is the first thing to get caught i have no idea why but um, yeah i totally agree with yeah keep your foot down and keep going um,
0: it's interesting what you said earlier about the small wins i think you're right not a lot of business owners entrepreneurs do celebrate the small wins because they're looking forward in the next challenge and the next hurdle. But something that I learned over the years was actually the small wins, I might be moving on, but the team are looking around me thinking, look at what we've done, look what we've achieved. And actually, they want to celebrate. Their mindset may be different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but if you don't pause and celebrate those small wins, doing the sort of things that you're doing, Rob, then actually you, you kind of leave your team behind as well. And yeah. the attrition of you always shooting for the larger, bigger goals and your team not at least enjoying and celebrating the smaller successes will change the culture in a bad way uh, over a period of time. So it's it's great to hear some of those things that you're doing, including Axe <laughs> <laughs> Um What keeps you focused?
1: Um, sorry, can, you, uh, can I just say one more thing on, on, yeah, on that question? Yeah. I think it comes down to getting to know your staff as well. Like I mentioned, obviously, if somebody likes beer or somebody likes gin, that's quite easy. But little things like um, one of our graphic designers, I, I said to him, we have one-to-ones every week, um, which takes up a bit of my time, but um, I want to get to know how people are doing it. It could just be five or 10 minutes just to see, not to really talk about work, just talk about how they're feeling outside of work, that sort of thing, have got any family stresses, you know, how they, if they live on their own, especially how they're dealing with, with lockdown and one of our graphic designers said to it, said to me that he creates all this amazing content but he never knows what it produces and he could reach millions of people and he would never know um mm. so he yeah. said could i see the results of, of of what's happened and i said yeah absolutely so that makes him feel better because he thinks i've created this content and then he might move on to the next piece and then he might never see what you know it's produced so um i think that's important yeah, absolutely.
0: So, and I completely agree with you there, Rob. So what does keep you focused then? And where do you find your inspiration?
1: Um, LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I like to see progression. Um, that's why I'm so, um, I don't micromanage staff because I was micromanaged, well, you shouldn't anyway, but I was micromanaged so badly in an old position. I've kind of gone the other way where I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, just let staff get on with get on the things, but yeah. catch up when you need to. I find my inspiration from, I guess, progression, seeing progression within the business scene, staff develop as well, seeing them achieve, and you know, everybody's got their different targets and trying to yeah. help them. Other people as well, so um, other agency owners, um, lots of people I'm connected to on LinkedIn, just seeing what they're creating, the content they're creating and, and what they're doing as well. Um, I took my original inspiration from, working for different agencies. So I just got an idea of, I freelanced for a little while and I just got an idea of what worked from an agency point of view. So one of them was a great agency and they had this meeting every Monday and Friday, all staff were involved. And it, Monday was for progression. So this morning I've had that progression session, I guess, with staff just to say, what is everybody working on? What does everybody need for the week? That sort of thing. And then on Friday it's more of um, reflection, so then you look at um, what have you achieved, what's been difficult, uh, what have you found that's been positive um, because there's no point asking for something on Friday because you're not going to get it before the weekend. <laughs> no. So it's all about reflection. So and there was other things from di- the different agencies that I took and just kind of tried to build this almost like perfect agency. Um, but yeah, I would say Gresham for me, and um, seeing the team happy as well and clients as well. Brilliant. Happy clients, equals happy staff and happy
0: me, I guess. So, I was also going to ask how you rejuvenate yourself, but I think this might click into the fundraising that you mentioned earlier. And I'm still loving that idea, by the way. (laughs) But I hear you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in September, More,
1: I am, yes. You may have seen from my social media bombardment. Yeah, (laughs) I am. (laughs) Um, There's a few reasons uh, I'm doing it. the, the first reason was my dad summited when he was 63. Um, okay, wow. I don't mind saying how old he is. That was seven, seven, yeah, seven years ago, He's just turned 70. And there was a couple of people with him who were younger, fitter, and they couldn't, I think they were about 400 meters from the summit and they couldn't do it. Um right. The body just shuts down at uh, that altitude just over 20,000 feet. And my dad used to skydive. My dad used to run a, a I've, I've figured this out recently that my mum and dad were both entrepreneurs but i never saw them as that i just saw them as another oh, parents, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> parents that, you know just had a go at me all the time um so my mum used to breed uh dachshunds and she used to show at crofts and things like that And she was a, an entrepreneur in her, in her own way and my dad um, had a skydiving company so i think the altitude that he'd been used to maybe helped him um so that was one reason why to kind of emulate him and you know, yeah. he he did it. And I thought, you know, I'd love to do that. And then a couple of years ago, I went to, um I went on safari in Kenya and I went to a school uh, in the Masai Mara. Um, and it was one of those moments where you see it on TV and you don't really think about it too much. Or you might think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make a donation. And it, it's really difficult. You know, your mindset changes once you've been there. I, yeah. I wouldn't have thought as much about it if it hadn't been. But then when you get there and you think, We are so fortunate in England, you know, in the UK, for example, um, the the things we have access to. um, And some things might not be great, but in comparison to to these children, I just want to kind of paint a little picture uh, quickly. Um, You know, these kids are in the middle of the Masai Mara. They've got um, like barbed wire to stop, you know, obviously lions, you know, lions are roaming around. To stop lions from getting them on the lunch, you know, it's crazy. When we were there, they were all screaming in it. in, in excitement because they'd found a snake in the ground and they were just holding this snake. I was terrified. They were just laughing. Um, but then, yeah, they, they, obviously they're massively underfunded, um, and it, I totally understand that. There's millions of you know thousands of charities that you could yeah. support, and uh, thousands of other schools like this in you know in, in areas mm-hmm. like that. And you know they share three people to a table and this was a boarding school as well, so it was, you know, it, you know children yeah. have to, to pay or have a scholarship to, to go to it. Um, and it cost, the head teacher was telling us it cost £90 a year for one child to to get an education. Uh-huh. And then I just thought about the ridiculous amount of money we'd spent going on this trip and, you know, food, alcohol, you know, you might spend £90 on it just agree with you quite easily you know in terms of food and drinks and I just I felt almost ashamed that I, I, and you kind of ch- changed my mindset when I got home as well it's like why am I spending money on things that are completely irrelevant when I could be giving it to these children to get an education um, and 25 no girls miss out on 25% of their education total education because they don't have sanitary protection yeah so certain to hit a certain age they can't go to school anymore, so that only costs something like four hundred pounds a year for every girl in school to cover. And I thought, got to do something here. So, um, you know, they had like a list on the wall of the things that were most important. Obviously, like running water and um, having books and and chalk is mm-hmm. is one of the biggest ones that they need. Um, and we don't have chalk, obviously, because we don't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if children still have chalk here, but um, so yeah, so that was the that was the reason behind it. So I thought, well, I could combine the two. Yeah, um, do some to, good. Yeah, I've I've done the ten k's and I used a box a box for about ten years and I've been in the ring a couple of times to raise money for. Funnily enough, my first boss and my first client, the charity that her charity that's who I used to fundraise for. Okay. Um, and they're like the biggest skin cancer charity in the UK now so <laughs> don't need my check fundraising yeah. as much yeah. but um, so yeah it's all for these uh, children at this school uh, so the more we can raise the more we can help and the, the plan was to raise enough to get uh, 55 kids uh, you know give, give them an education for the year and Brilliant. hopefully we'll get there.
0: Good luck for that. Yeah, Brilliant. It, it's been great to have you on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Robbie, people want to find out more about you, more about Social Republic. Uh, where can they go?
1: Yeah, so uh, the Social Republic website is uh, social-republic.co.uk. I'd love people to connect with me on LinkedIn and, you know, obviously let me know that you you listen to the podcast as well apologize in advance because you, you will get a lot of fundraising content. Not in your inbox, <laughs> don't worry, I don't, I don't do that, but just in your feed generally. Um, and in, if anyone did want to support me, please just get in touch on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll send you the, the Just Give a Link, which is on my profile anyway. Brilliant. Thank you, Rob.
0: And yes, uh, speak to you again, you very much. Thank you. Okay. Some really interesting and revealing content from Rob. Social media can sometimes feel like a mindful or in my opinion a dark art but I think the main takeaway from that discussion is the importance of having a thorough idea of how you want your brand to be represented and then putting a solid well thought out strategy behind it. I really hope this podcast gave you a better idea of how to do these things and optimise the social engagement for your business. To find out more about Evolve you can email me at warren.munson at evolvemembers.com or visit our website evolvemembers.com where you'll find great and insightful content as well as information on our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, webinars and events and you can sign up there as a supporter as well. Other news is that Evolve will soon be launching its own co-working space in beautiful premises in Ashley Cross in Poole. The Evolve team is really excited about this and actually forming a community of like-minded individuals working together in a place full of great energy all the details will soon be available on our website so if you're interested in working in a lovely old school building with great facilities and a fantastic garden keep an eye on evolvemembers.com in the coming weeks i really do hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you haven't yet then please do click that subscribe button so you can get your weekly evolve podcast delivered automatically to your device We're constantly striving to bring your guests to provide new insights and value to you, whether it's to do with your work life or personal well-being. Thank you for listening and from all the Evolve team, wish you a great week and hope to see you again soon.